Hi everyone, it's Grace. I recently illustrated the special edition hornbook cover for the Newberry Centennial. The art was so well received that I decide to make a poster of it. The sale of the poster will benefit everylibrary.org, the first and only national political action committee for libraries, which, with all the recent attempted book banning, you know we need. You can purchase the poster through the Eric Carle Museum. The link will be in the show notes. I hope you take a look and buy one or two and help our libraries. Hi, I'm Alvina Ling. And I'm Grace Lin. And, and we're, we're Book Friends Forever. We're childhood friends that grew up to be a children's book editor and an author and illustrator. Welcome to Book Friends Forever. This is the Common Microaggressions and How to Avoid Them episode. Every week we catch up with each other's lives, talk about what's on our minds, and share with each other what we're grateful for. And check out our website, bookfriendsforever.com. The website will include more detailed show notes as well as links to the episodes. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy our podcast, please tell a friend about it. And also, please consider joining our Patreon. Yes, we would love your support to keep this podcast going. And after a bit of a dry spell, we actually have a new patron to thank. Yay! Yay! Thank you to Diane Siekman. Um, we did try to reach out to get your name. Yes, I did. <laughs> but maybe but, I, I messaged a little too late, but I did. Yes. I messaged Diane this this morning, I think, but we haven't heard back to confirm the pronunciation of her last name. So apologies, Diane. <laughs> yes. Maybe we should try to reach out a little earlier. <laughs> yes, I think so. Um, remember, we're asking for just $1 an episode, and you'll get a special notebook with Art by Grace featuring a quote by my mother. If it is to be, it is up to me, while supplies last, as well as access to the Random Questions podcast. And if you are already a patron like Diane, please make sure you message us your mailing address on Patreon so that we can get your notebook out. All right. So, Elvina, how have you been? I have been good. I've been editing a ton because I'm trying to finish a lot of things before I go on vacation. Hooray! Yay! Um, so we're leaving this Friday. Um, actually, by the time this episode drops, I will already be in Europe. Woohoo! Um, but yeah, leaving this Friday, going to Amsterdam, Paris, Burgundy, and then Barcelona, and I'll be away for a full two weeks, Ooh. which I'm very excited about. Um, speaking of, um, we're still talking about what we're going to be doing for those two weeks in terms of this podcast so I guess don't be surprised if we take a week off um, or two but I think we have a, a tentative plan for at least one of those weeks um, mm -hmm. but so so stay tuned um, and uh, what else have been I'm doing so uh, on Saturday uh, we had Kirk and Tracy and their son Sherman over to just grill because they they're actually leaving they were leaving for Oregon for the month um and we did karaoke oh <laughs> that's so much fun which was really fun um so I yeah so that's the birthday gift from Stephen that we'll keep on giving um you know I still have a little bit of a cough left over from COVID I don't know my 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 little brother told me that he ended up having a cough for three months after getting oh COVID. wow uh -huh. so let's hope it doesn't last three months um yeah yeah, it's definitely not as bad, but it's just, you know, I don't know. You can probably hear it. I'm a little, I can, I don't know. It's still but a little the, bit in my throat. But the vertigo mm -hmm. is gone. Is that correct? Vertigo is pretty much gone. So. Phew. Yeah. Well, that's I, good. I've, I've been starting to just do things like I I, I would normally. Although I, I will say, like, I've been doing walks. Uh, I've tried walking in the park, and I'll, I'll walk the loop instead of run the loop. And mm -hmm. the first time I did it, um, I did I walked it last week. I ended up having two huge blisters on both of my heels. So I'm oh, like, oh, I guess that just shows how long it's been. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I've only I had only I mean I guess I had taken like a over a month off because I was on vacation too. But I don't know. Anyway, how quickly we regress. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking forward to the most for, on your vacation? What place or thing? Oh, gosh. Food. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to all of it. I don't know. I think Burgundy because I've never been there. The other three places I've been, even though it's been a long time um, since I've been to Paris and, and Amsterdam, 
So I'm looking forward to Burgundy, but I'm also looking forward to Paris because, um, you know, we're staying there the longest and we're, we're going to be staying in uh, an apartment. So I'm kind of looking forward to just feeling what it might feel like to live there. Um, mm. And I have a friend, um, Mathieu, who um, is French and he's in Paris right now. So, um, you know, it's gonna, we're going to have dinner one night. So it'll be fun to, to, you know, hear about, you know him oh. about the, the locals local living <laughs> um has steven been there before he has been there also only once and also a long time ago i think for him it was like 2010 or 7 or something like that so and you know not for that long either so i think we're both excited to kind of re rediscover it um so we've we've made very few plans um i think he just booked the van gogh museum in amsterdam today mm, nice so, uh-huh. you know but but that's kind of how we like it we like to to not have not not be over planned and just uh-huh. explore so yeah that sounds fun yeah how about you how have you um good really good um less last week you know i think i mentioned hazel had camp and <laughs> honestly I just love her in camp because, like, <laughs> it gives me so much space to get my work done, and mm-hmm. with so so much less guilt. Right? So, um, so I I was really really busy, and I worked really hard, and I uh, got in the um, what would you call it revisions to you? Was it revision stage? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I guess the revision stage of our project that was it was really intense for me I kind of felt like my brain was melting by the end <laughs> it was because well, I was I like also so gave you focused. really tight turnaround so that I could read it before I left <laughs> <laughs> but it was good though because it worked out great because this is the week she was in camp and like I just focused like sat down and did it and it was really um really great so I felt really accomplished <laughs> this week to yeah. have been able to turn uh that manuscript in um and the sad thing is that there's no camp for Hazel this week. Mm. Well, that's not sad. I shouldn't say sad. That that makes (laughs) it sound terrible. But I think it just goes to show I have such a hard time focusing when she's not in camp. Like, so the way that we do it when Hazel's not in camp is like I hang out with Hazel half the day and then Alex hangs out with her the other half day so we both have time to do our things. Mm -hmm. But even when it's, even after like Alex relieves me of Hazel duty (laughs) like it takes me so much time to like to focus and do anything like like I might have the whole afternoon off but in the end I only get like an hour work of worth of work done because it's just I feel like I'm catching up on things and writing emails and like not really working at all and it just feels so different than when um like last week when she was at camp and I just like was focusing so it's just a really different feeling but um but hopefully um, she goes to camp next week, so I can get back to that. <laughs> but uh, and when does school start again? For for her, it starts um, September first. Mm-hmm. So um, I know some people have school that starts like next week or something like that. I know my friends in um, Georgia have that. Yeah, in so. California, I think it's August fifteenth. Uh, but we have until September, so that gives me another month to focus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But one of the things that uh, today, why I couldn't focus was because I got completely um, <laughs> distracted by the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Which is always a bad thing. I think that's the other thing is like, um, I can just turn the internet off. But like when I do half day with Hazel, you know, like I'm like, I, I want some time to like, you know, get do my own thing or whatever. And so then I turn the internet on and I start going on social media. And um so today I was distracted on Instagram um, because my good friend Lisa Yee posted this um, interview uh, with Katie Zhao. Um, Katie was being interviewed by uh, the Michigan Daily. Now Katie is a is a author of many books uh, like Winnie Zeng unleashes a legend. I think that's the book. It says book one of one. So I think yeah, that's going like to be a it's series. Middle grade. It looks like. I yeah. think she also writes YA. <clears throat> yeah, it looks like the lies we tell are some other book and uh, are some YA books and how we fell apart, um, which I'm not as familiar with because I don't really read YA. But <laughs> but anyway, uh, Katie Zhao, uh, in her interview, um, basically did a nice shout out to Lisa, and she said. You know, um, I have to shout out to Lisa Yee, who wrote Sanford Wong and Millicent Min, 
Um, I feel like those titles aren't as well known because they came out before publishing realized, oh, we should invest in books by people of color. And I just thought that was so nice of her to kind of recognize Lisa's work and kind of, I guess the truth is, um, recently uh, I've been seeing a lot of Asian American authors come out and talk about their books and I'm really happy for them and I'm really glad for their su their success but many of them are saying things like like there was no other Asian books until mine came along you know and I'm like <laughs> and and that that just kind of it makes me feel so sad and like and it also like really it, honestly it kind of hurts because it feels like oh wait so all, my all that I've done for the past 20 years doesn't count because you know like you it's like they're you, erasing you kind of yeah <laughs> and it's I mean that's on a personal level but, but people even before me like Lawrence Yep and and Linda Sue Park and Lisa Yee you know like all of us like I understand that there's probably a good chance that many current uh, Asian American authors might not have seen our books because it was a very different time, you know, like they might have not seen our books, but we were there, you know, we were there. We were really trying really hard uh, to get these Asian books out there. So I guess. Yeah, I think there's a difference between saying that <clears throat> there was a lack, like there is, um, you know, that they grew up not reading those books and not seeing those books versus there were none before me. <laughs> yeah. like that's, I think that's a big difference. But I, I also think, you know, but but saying that um, even but even saying that Lisa Yee's books were published before before publishing thought it was important to publish those books, I think is also doing a little bit of a disservice to those of us working in publishing. And, if you know, and, and not even like me, but people before me, like Phoebe Yeh and I mean, you know, Lisa Yee was yeah. published by Arthur Levine and there are a lot of there were a lot of editors who you know were doing the work and publishing those books I think um, you know I think it is fair to say that publishing as a whole wasn't doing a good enough job to publicize and market and and sell and you know and and mm -hmm. basically you know help make those books more discoverable but but yes, but those books existed. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, and, and we did discover some a lot of them, actually. Yeah, well, I guess it's just this feeling that I want to feel like what we did counted, you know? Right. Um, and perhaps we are not um, the most current right now <laughs> in right. terms of, of Asian, Asian American books that are out there that are like kind of uh, gaining in popularity, but that doesn't mean that we didn't count, you know, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, that speaks a little bit to what this episode is about, which is about microaggressions. Um, so a reminder for those of you who might not be familiar with the term, um, but a microaggression, according to Merriam-Webster, is defined as a comment or action that subtly and often unconsciously or unintentionally expresses a prejudiced attitude towards a member of a marginalized group, such as a racial minority. Um, and so I think the number one way to avoid microaggressions, committing microaggressions, I mean, is to be knowledgeable about them because sometimes I think people really are just ignorant um, yeah. so I think just talking a little bit more about what some common microaggressions are I think can help um, but I think we we both have maybe some tips on how we how we try <laughs> to avoid them yeah I mean I think it's awareness is probably like the biggest step right because these microaggressions most of them are are done now not out of malice right but um but they that doesn't mean that they're not hurtful you know mm -hmm. um but at the same time you know to be clear everyone commits microaggressions i have committed many a microaggression you know me too um, <laughs> and and it's not that um and, and like i said i had no intention to do that you know but um these things happen and they are things that we should feel embarrassed about right but they're not things that um they're not things that should keep us from trying to improve or get us angry you know um i think uh, i was a long long time ago i was reading this twitter thread by alex gino and they were saying how when they are misgendered 
um, in conversation and sometimes the person who misgendered them gets so so horrified hor horrified and so apologetic that it makes it even worse you know right. and I remember they said you know if you misgender someone you know it's not great but it's kind of like you farted, you know, just, <laughs> it's, it's like farting in public. It's, it's not pleasant. It's noticeable. It's noticeable, <laughs> but it, it, it happens. You, all right. you do is you say you're sorry and try really hard not to do it again. Yeah, and it's um, not an unforgivable crime. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, when, as opposed to like aggressive racism, maybe is an <laughs> unforgivable crime. <laughs> I mean, I think, um, but even the term microaggressions is is a touchy one, you know, because I was thinking about um, my legacy speech and I was working on the legacy speech with um, Justina. And um, for those of you who don't know about the legacy speech, I kind of divided it into three different stories. And the first story was to address um, creators of, of children's books. The second was to address fellow Asian American um, Asian Americans, and the third was to address um, uh, educators. And the second one um, was, I guess, what a lot of the, I was talking about last week, a lot of people said Grace Lynn's speech was about discrimination. So mm -hmm. I guess that, that, that second piece was, uh, did highlight discrimination. And I remember Justina saying, do you want to say these are some of the microaggressions that have caused? And I was like, and I was like, no, no, no. I want to keep that word out of my speech <laughs> because I feel like as soon as you say microaggressions, there's a portion of the population that rolls their eyes and like, Bleh. <laughs> it's like, and so, um, and I felt like I don't want to put anything in there that will um, turn someone off immediately. I want them to hear the story. Um, but that doesn't mean that they were not microaggressions. They really right. were. They were all microaggressions. Well, and I, you know, even though you didn't use that term, I definitely got that message from your speech, but, you know, because you called them little bugs that kind of like get under your skin and they, you know, they multiply. And, you know, so I, I feel like that's exactly how microaggressions feel. Mm -hmm. Like if it's just one bug. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. You it's can no swat big deal. it away. Yeah, you like, I was like, it's like an ant. You flick it and it's gone, right? But it's like when there's hundreds and thousands of these ants crawling all over you, then it's like, ugh. Yeah, gross. <laughs> <laughs> I know you hate that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what, that's the problem with microaggressions is because one is no big deal. But the problem is people who are the receivers of these microaggressions, they have been getting lots and lots and lots and lots of them. So it feels like hundreds of bugs all over them. Um, so even though maybe you're just um, accidentally pushing a, a, an ant on them, like they already have like 15 of them or 100 of them all over. So that's why yeah. these things are um, important. Um, so. And I wanted to point our listeners, um, there's, um, there's some, there, I saw several of these online. <clears throat> there's these, these kind of grids that had examples of microaggressions, and they're actually really helpful because they they have like a column that says theme, and the theme might be like, um, it might be like alien in own land, um, which is an example like, I think for us we get this a lot, right? Yeah, I think, I think that would be a very typical Asian yes, microaggression. It's like, where are you from? And then yeah. you might say, oh, well, I was born in Atlanta, but you know my family lives in California. And then they're <laughs> like, no, 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 like, where are you really from? Like that yeah. <laughs> very, which I will say has happened less and less um, in recent times because I think people are getting more educated about that, but mm -hmm. it definitely happened. It happens yeah. all the time. <laughs> it happens, yeah, it, it happens. Happen a ton. It used to happen all the time. And I know there's still people who are like, well, why is that so bad? How am I supposed to know where, like, I, I'm just really curious where their their ethnic heritage is from, you know? Uh, how am I, why is that so bad to ask? But the, the reason why it's a touchy subject to ask a stranger or someone that you've right. just met <laughs> is because it implies that you don't feel that they're American, that you are a foreigner, you know, like right. that you don't belong here. Where are you really from? Now it's after you get to know someone, <laughs> I, I'm thinking, and it's like part of the conversation, like um, then I think it's, it's, it's normal to know, want to know somebody's 
you know, history or past. Yeah. I mean, but I think it's like it shouldn't be the first question, and it and it shouldn't even be the second question, you know. But it, it's, it, it, I think it's fair to ask that of of someone that you consider like a friend or a friendly acquaintance, um, where you there's there's so much more that you know about that person. Though, um, if it is something that you really want to know, like I, this has happened to me many a times where I'll be doing a book signing and someone will, uh, another Asian will come up and like, they'll either, they will really want to know, like, are you Taiwanese? Are you Chinese? Are you, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and, and they'll ask me like, so what are you? (laughs) And I, and I understand I I don't get uh, offended, but usually, um, I realize the best way is to share your own Mm -hmm. ethnicity and then, then to, than to ask, meaning like this is what I'm trying to get at. Like, my right. parents are so from like Taiwan. If, if we, so yeah, exactly. I want to know if we have something in common, not mm-hmm. like you are foreign. You know. Right, right. Um, I think a, a related thing to this is, <laughs> I don't know if you've had this happen, but sometimes this this happens more when I was younger, like maybe you know out at a bar, and usually it was a white guy who would see me and then say like ni hao or konnichiwa. <laughs> Like, to speak, say hello in a Asian language randomly, like, as yeah. a way to, I, I always assume, like, hit on me, but I'm like, does that ever work? Like, did he really think, like, oh, I was, like, I had just flown in from China, and, like, oh, this, this white guy can speak my language. I'm going to, like, kiss them. I don't know. It, it just was so random. But that is totally offensive. Um, yeah. That I would even say is not maybe not a microaggression. That's more <laughs> feels more like aggression to me because yeah. it assumes not only does it assume that oh you're not American and you only speak an Asian language, but it also is like guessing what you know like it's mm-hmm. the kind of like all Asians look the same you know yeah. like oh you must know Japanese or oh you must know Chinese or you know so anyway well this don't this, do that. <laughs> Yeah, and that happens to me a lot with kids at school, and this is and that there I believe it's a microaggression because they're mm-hmm. just so they've learned the word for hello in Japanese, you know, and they're like, right. oh, I've got to share off show off what I know, you know, and they're mm-hmm. excited, excited. So I think it's also you know a good learning, um, learning opportunity to be like, oh, that is that is Japanese, you know, like and I'm you know so like that does happen a lot. So it's it's. It, yeah, it, it can be a, a good, learning moment. It can be a learning thing, but it's yeah. sometimes it's hard. <laughs> it depends on the age of who's saying it to you. If it's someone really young, it's it's a lot yeah. easier to to find forgiveness. <laughs> the other related thing, I, I'm curious what you think because actually this kind of I think this happened to both of us recently at ALA. But um, you know, I'll I'll often get the like your talk. You you meet someone for the first time, and then they'll say, oh, like my wife is also Asian <laughs> or, or something to that effect. And I find that a little off-putting, I think, and a little creepy. Like, I, I think it would be different if we were talking and in a conversation and then it came up that maybe I mentioned like, oh, my parents are from Taiwan or, oh, I just came back from Taiwan where my, you know, visiting family. And then they said, oh, actually, like, oh, my, my wife is actually from Taiwan too. Like, to me, that feels mm-hmm. more natural, but it, it feels... Sometimes it, it it feels like they're just volunteering it. I don't know. I mean, I know they're trying to 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 make a connection. Yeah. But it I, it's a, it, it comes off as a little it's creepy awkward. to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it kind of like saying like I have an Asian friend too, or I have black friends too. You know, it it just feels like they're they're trying to preemptively say I'm 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 friends with <laughs> Asian people. Um, uh, you know, I I think it's awkward and it feels awkward, but that one doesn't bother me as much only because I'm a very awkward conversationalist as well. Mm-hmm. And like I kind of I kind of feel kinship of like they're like, oh, I'm from Georgia. And I'd be like, oh, I know someone from Georgia. <laughs> you know, like in a, like I, I also do very random, like um, <laughs> not appropriate uh, connections. So right. I do. But I feel like if you're but that I I guess because it's not that con- like for example if I if some if I say tell someone like oh I'm from Taiwan they're like oh my gosh I I know someone who's Taiwanese maybe you know that person <laughs> like that it's like that is not very likely um, and it's, yet I do that kind of thing all the time I know. but I guess imagine meeting like if I met like a white 
person and they're like, oh, my husband's white. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I guess that's the difference. It's not because it's like because I do it when I'm like, oh, I'm from California. And I'm like, oh, I know someone in California. Like, I guess that's more like locale, which but it's just as ridiculous if you think about it. (laughs) Like, Yeah. But like if you had just visited California, like that would be like, oh, I just was there for a conference. Like that that would be, I think, perfectly fine. Anyway. (laughs) I, I yes, yeah, sometimes microaggressions are just <laughs> just awkwardness, socially awkward. <laughs> and I guess that's why I think that's why so many of us, at least so people in my circle, um, have are guilty of doing microaggressions. Not because we have um, not because we have malice or anything. It's just because we're already socially awkward. Right. But I think being aware of these. Yes. That some people have issue with these types yeah. of things. Is and that's why thing. this, this that's why we're doing this podcast is yeah. the idea of like, because once you're aware, then mm-hmm. you can get rid of yeah. those kind of awkwardnesses. Um, but one thing that really does bother me is when um, I get called the wrong name. Not mm-hmm. so much in person. In person, actually, it bothers me less, but it really bothers me like... That was part of my legacy speech. Like that, I'm sure the person who messaged me incorrectly, thinking that I was Andrea Wang, is a very nice person, and it was just a mistake. But like, just it bothered me so much that that happened, like on the day of winning the award. Like, and I feel like it's on Messenger. You could see who you're talking to right there. The name, <laughs> you know. Like, I don't know. I remember that one really bothered me. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I agree. It's um, so I've done this and it's been done to me. Um, and I agree, like for me, it's it's probably the most common microaggression that happens to me. Um, you know, if I'm at a conference and someone's like, oh, Phoebe, like I definitely have been conf- been called Phoebe Yay a lot. Um, people have called me Grace <laughs> before. Um, you know, I think it's happened that you know Connie, Shu, and I are confused for each other, and like it, it happens. And I've done it too for you know, you know, different races, I guess, um, and and white people <laughs> too. Like you know, yeah. I'm just sometimes bad with faces and names. Um, but yes, it's it's different when you yeah you, you see someone's name you can look them up you have the time that you could look them up you could you know like or if you're like on a Zoom it's I feel like that's taken it away a little bit because you can like double check the name yeah. because their their it's name right is there. usually on their Zoom um, and I guess with this one I I know people say that your own name is like music to your ears and it is wonderful i think when someone that you meet calls you by your name because it shows that you that they know your name but it's so such the opposite if they call you by the wrong name that Mm. i to be honest err on not saying people's names even if i'm pretty sure i know it i i i usually avoid just saying people's names and, yeah, and I, I so do I actually. Safer. <laughs> I do too, which I, yeah, because I'm not good with names either. Like I have my good friend um, is Leslie Connor, um, and for the first like, I would say three, maybe even four months of this group that we're together, I kept calling her Barbara because I had another friend, Barbara O'Connor, and I kept and, and they were they were both white ladies, you know, <laughs> it was just like terrible. Yeah. So I do understand, you know, names get lodged and and mixed up so it's a it's a it's a understandable mistake Mm -hmm. but I guess it's what makes it so harmful to be on the receiving end is like I remember the the legacy award it was like uh they had announced it and I had already like I was fighting personal demons in terms of imposter syndrome right and then to have this come in and be like be like oh you're not Andrea Wang. And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, it was just a very like kind of um, painful feeling, you know? Right. Although I guess in that case, they didn't call you Andrea. They just, they named the wrong book. They had the yeah. wrong book in their head. So I guess, I guess I can see how, I don't know. I guess that happens to me too. It's like, wait, what book did they write? Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt to say that <laughs> they didn't. They just got the books mixed up and not the people. (laughs) 
but I didn't have a book, you see. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I mean, the legacy didn't even have a, a book attached to it, you know, so yeah. that's why it's so like, hmm. But, um, but no, well, I, I would yeah. like to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure this yeah. person. And for the most part, I think when this happens in real life, we do. We're like, oh, no, no, it's fine. Like, um, yeah. you know. Well, I guess something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is mispronouncing names. Yeah. (laughs) Which I am so guilty of, right? And I'm realizing, um, I'm realizing now more and more as we've brought this more to my own attention, um, how tone deaf I am, right? Right. I think it's interesting that, um, well, it's not... And I guess it is tone deaf because I think for you, a lot of I've noticed that when you mispronounce names, it's not usually the actual like how you pronounce the words. It's the emphasis. Mm. So like, you know, when Namrata was a guest, Uh you know, I I know that she would say that a lot of people say Namrata. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's it's not necessarily I mean, I get it's a little off, but it's it's more that the emphasis should be on the first syllable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was actually something that was interesting when I went to Greece, because I realized that, you know, I guess there's a reason why there's that saying, it's all Greek to me, uh-huh. because all of these so-called Greek words that we think we know, like, I, you know, we probably all say spanakopita, right? Uh-huh. And I actually don't know, like, the actual pronunciation, but it's different. <laughs> like, it's like spanakopita. <laughs> Spanakopita. I don't know. That's not. That's terrible. Sorry to all our Greek <laughs> listeners. Um, but they're they the the syllables are all like not where I would naturally put them. And I think that's the same with Indian. I've heard actually that it's um, in J- Japan. Actually, John Cho was saying that his wife was tell who's who's Japanese American was telling him that he always pronounces every Japanese word wrong because he puts the this, the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, huh. Well, it's interesting because you know. For the Walter Awards, I was like, I'm going to say everybody's name is right. I'm going to do this, right? And I remember I went ahead of time, and I listened to everybody on YouTube, and I tried to write it in phonetically, right? And I was like, I'm going to get this right. <laughs> and then I went to, when I went to the Walter Awards, and I went to the authors themselves, and I said, okay, is this how you say it, right? And they said, no, 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 it's like this. And that's when I realized, oh, I listened to it on YouTube. I wrote it phonetically, and I still wrote it incorrectly. That's when I first had that, like, bell ringing, like, you are tone deaf. You are tone deaf. You're not getting it. And then, uh, so I thought, okay, now I have the the actual author telling me the right the, the right way of saying it and I was like so proud of myself and it's only like now after it's all done I, I was like really really proud of myself and then I think you told me <laughs> about you told me like a week later like I went to watch your the Walters and you still said some of the names wrong and I was like oh <laughs> I know well we know that you tried very hard <laughs> um you know and we've obviously we we both need to work on this. Um, but I think some, I think when, when you're moderating a panel and or emceeing or something, I think one probably tip I would give is to contact the author themselves early on rather than try to figure it out um, using YouTube and all those sites. Because, I mean, the, the best is to find a recording of the author saying their own name. But even mm-hmm. that, I think it, it can be hard. So it might be useful to just have a quick call. Because I think probably for you, one of the issues is that you wrote it down phonetically and you probably practiced it on your own. Yeah. And then so you probably remember, you actually practiced it the wrong way more than yeah. you practiced it the right way. And so when you're up on stage, and you know, it's just... I feel like you blank out a little bit anyway. <laughs> so I, I guess that would be my tip is to reach out to the author first. Well, because I think I that most of us, we do that. And I've been on panels where the, like right before we are about to go on, they're like, okay, how do you pronounce your name? And then I feel like that's just not enough time. Yeah. Especially if you had it wrong in your head. I mean, yeah. I know, I think I mentioned, I, I was doing a, a virtual panel and, um, Julissa Arce was um, one of the panelists, and I think in my head, I don't know why, now I can't even say it wrong in my head, but in my head I think I, I always thought of it as Julissa, not Julissa, or I, I don't even, now I don't know, mm-hmm. but, um, and luckily I did ask her beforehand, and she corrected me, um, but I think if I hadn't, 
it would have been better if I had, you know, done more research before yeah. um, the day well, of, you know. <clears throat> well, now we know. Now we know. And, so that's... and apologies to the authors of the Walter Awards. <laughs> Um, all right. What are some other, um, well, so you, you mentioned Alex Gino and misgendering or using wrong, wrong pronouns. That's a microaggression. Yeah. Um, and it's one that I have messed up many a times. Even, um, my daughter's good friend, uh, goes by they, their pronouns. And mm-hmm. I like, I'll talk to Hazel about them, but I'll constantly misgender them and, and Hazel, it's so interesting how she's she's completely with it, and she'll be like them, there, mama, them. And I'll be like, oh, sorry, sorry. So it's it. I think for oldies <laughs> like me, uh, it's it it takes a little effort, which and it's worth it. Not to say not to um, say it's not worth it, but just saying it takes a little effort, and you have to just keep 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 thinking practicing, about it. Keep yeah, trying. Well, um, so I just read. I think you. You might have mentioned this book, oh, in a previous episode, but um, I finally just read Genderqueer. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Which is so good. Um, but there's a scene where the, because it's a, it's a memoir, um, where the author starts correcting, you know, noticing when people would use wrong pronouns for someone and then would correct them and then would turn around and make the same mistake and get corrected themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I kind of like that because that happen, that's, uh, happens all the time. Because I do try to make a point to correct people, but I also will make the mistake. So yeah, And I think people know if someone is using the wrong pronouns on purpose or by yeah. accident. And yeah. I think that's probably the, yeah. the key. Um, on a similar note is dead naming, which mm. I've mentioned before. And this is something that I actually didn't no was a was a microaggression or aggression um until maybe last year and it's it's and i think a lot of people don't know this because i've i've also corrected some people at work a dead name is a name that a transgender usually transgender person was given at birth and no longer uses after transitioning um so generally you should not ever use that dead name and I think the piece that a lot of people don't realize is not even when that person is not present. So, mm-hmm. for example, you know, I, I wouldn't in the often say, oh, you know, case and calendar used to be known as X, right? That would mm-hmm. actually not be a, a good thing to do, okay. um, especially because it could get back to them. Um, uh-huh. And I think that's uh, relevant when it comes to Alex Gino's book, first book, uh-huh. which I guess I'm going to use <laughs> the dead name because it was the t- the title. Well, maybe I, I, so I will not. I will practice. I, ju- <laughs> I just want to. I just want to make it clear because I didn't know this actually at all. Because uh, like in the past, I'll say something like, "Oh, they used to go by the name." Right. You should not do that. So anymore. you should not do that. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> yes. Okay. So with Alex Gino's book now called Melissa, but it was called The Dead Name before. And I think that's uh-huh. why they changed the title is because I think they realized, oh, wait, why are we using the de- the, the character's dead name as a title? Like that goes uh-huh. against, um, you know, against what they were writing of, about. Yeah. Right. So I, I think it's I think it's interesting. And it's definitely well, one that I think a lot of people don't don't yeah. know about. Yeah, because it's it's complicated because um, sometimes sometimes you're talking to somebody who doesn't know that the person has transitioned or changed, you know. Right. And so, um, but but I guess it makes sense because it is kind of like a new the person is a new person, you know. So right, it's yeah. almost like yeah. But it's complicated. <laughs> and it's, it's, it is complicated. It's complicated. And the world is changing. Um, yeah. What are some other ones? So um, the myth of meritocracy is one. I think we've talked about this a lot, too. But, um, you know, I think some people who say, I believe the most qualified person should get the job, or uh, yeah. everyone can succeed in this society if they work hard enough, or my kid didn't get into college because they're oh, white, which is one that we've you've you've heard. <laughs> I've talked. I've I've heard that many a times, and it 
really, really bothers me so much. I've been witness to many of those kind of conversations, and it's only as I've gotten older that I'm like, been like, okay, let's talk about this for a second. Yeah. <laughs> like, if anything, if anyone is quote unquote stealing your white son's spot, <laughs> it's them, right? It's rich uh, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if anyone is stealing, but it's what is so aggravating about that kind of attitude is that it implies that that spot belonged to him to begin with, right. you know? Yeah. It implies sure. that someone stole it from him, that it was it belonged to him, you know, before before this Asian person came in and stole it and took it away. You know, like uh, I think that's such a um it's such a interesting attitude that a lot of people have and they don't even realize how harmful that attitude is, you know? Well, I hope they can start realizing it after replacement theory has been talked about, you know, like the shooter and the Buffalo shooter, where he believed that people of color were going to replace white people in the U.S. I mean, that that just shows how dangerous that kind of thinking is. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of people think that way and don't even realize it, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and it just it just sends the message that, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the debate around affirmative action, because I, I do think some people of color, you know, are made to feel that the only reason why they got into that college was because of affirmative action and that they were given an unfair benefit, you know, because mm-hmm. of their race, you know, and that's not fair um, to say. Or, you know, when you say something like, everyone can succeed, you know, it just... It might say that, oh, some people are just lazy or incompetent or they need to work harder. Yeah. So, it's a really yeah. complicated mess of something that a lot of people don't like to touch. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> For um, lack of better way of putting it. <laughs> on a, I guess a related note, another microaggression might be, um, like, it's common. I know, like, you know, some of my black colleagues, like, talk about... Um, you know, if someone says, oh, you're so articulate, like that is like a trigger word, I think, for some people, mm. because it basically goes with the assumption that that you're surprised <laughs> that, that yeah. that person is so articulate, you know, like, well, yes, they are. And why would why wouldn't they be, I guess? Um, or or, you know, saying I mean, that goes back to like, oh, you speak English so well, you know, it's like, um, <laughs> that's the only language I speak, so I, I, I hope I speak it well. <laughs> I, I get that. Um, uh, I used to, actually, I don't, I haven't gotten that in a while, but maybe that's because I haven't been doing a lot of s- school visits mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, obviously, but I used right. to get that quite a lot from kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one recent microaggression that I hadn't been aware of that, um, that I thought was interesting and also a little bit sad um, was from the show, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but Stephen and I watched the reality show Love on the Spectrum, and it was basically um, people who are on the autism spectrum who are trying to find love, and so it kind of combines our love of reality, um, you know, romance TV. But um, this one woman who was on the spectrum, one of the, I guess, the way her... Uh, autism manifested is that she would kind of run around like when she was excited and kind of jump and flap her hands a little bit and she had these body movements um and so she goes on a date with a guy who is lovely actually and and you can tell that he really is interested in her and really likes her and at one point they go out on the street and there's music playing and so they dance together and she's kind of like jumping up and down and kind of of seems excited and he mimics her Mm -hmm. and like as a viewer you kind of see him mimicking her as in he's excited and he's trying to like you know kind of mirror her excitement but Mm -hmm. she immediately shuts down and says oh don't make fun of my um, my disorder, basically. Mm. And he's like, oh, no, no, I wasn't, you know, but that was just an interesting example of unintentional, I think, mm-hmm. microaggression that I think ultimately was really tragic because, you know, that just made her completely shut down and, and, yeah. and just like not trust him anymore. So it's too bad. It's a little sad. 
but you kind of understand she probably has been hurt by that kind of thing so many times, right? Right, like people bullying her, or you know, and yeah. and she, you know, she's just he's just someone she's met for the first time, so yeah. she doesn't know him. Uh, and I other? think, well, I think that's kind of like the whole thing about microaggressions is like most of the time they're done with with um, n- no bad intentions, but. You know, the person who's been receiving them has might be so injured that it doesn't right. even matter. You and know, you can't control. You know, but yeah. I guess all you can do is apologize and and hope that they yeah. they trust you and believe you. Yeah, and try not to do it again. <laughs> That's right. All right. If our listeners have any other examples of microaggressions or any other tips on how to avoid them, you know, definitely send us a message or tweet or you know. Instagram, I don't know. <laughs> Check us on social media using the hashtag Book Friends Forever. <laughs> fortune cookies. So let's move on to our fortune cookie segment. So this is kind of random, but we kind of thought it'd be fun to talk about things that we've collected, <laughs> both at ki- as kids and also now. Um, so let's start with when we were kids. Grace, what did you collect? You know, I really didn't, I didn't really collect that much stuff. I remember wanting to collect a lot of things, but never really working out. Like at one point I really wanted to have a rock collection, right? But I never saw any rocks that I thought were really great. Like I, I just had like the gravel rocks from my driveway and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I like have like five of them. And like, this is the start of my rock collection. But I never, like I was always looking for like, like the jewel or something like to put in there and I never so like that that rock collection died really fast and same thing with stamps at one point I was trying to collect stamps but you know all the stamps that we'd get were just like plain like the same like American flag stamps so and because I wasn't getting any like cool stamps I, I gave up on that you know like it's um I think that I always wanted to collect things um that would have a lot of variety of like unusual things like there's some people who just like to collect of the same bottle caps you know something like mm-hmm. that like um and there are people who, who like to collect things that like i have 80 different kinds of rocks you know and i think i was that kind that wanted to have 80 different kinds of rocks and each one was really unusual and different you know? so but um so i tried many collections but none of them um came to any fruition that i was proud of or would show anyone um but i love the idea of collecting how about you <laughs> Um, I collected the usual, like, sticker stamps, and I think at one point coins. I think the number one, so stamps I had, I think it's because someone had given me this really fancy stamp collecting book, and it had come, it had come with some stamps, and so, I don't know, I I was excited to kind of have it already and then build on it, and I would put, um, I kind of learned how to, like, you know, you, you use a, you I think now I can't even remember. You put it in water to separate the stamp from the envelope so that you can like dry it out and then put it in there. But and then I got to, I was lazy, so I would just like cut it off the envelope and just stick the whole thing. <laughs> but I still have that. I, I think at my parents' house somewhere, unless I gave it to I gave it to my niece or nephew. Um, but the big thing was stickers. I, I just mm. love stickers, and I had you know you you would use those um, photo books, you know, that uh-huh. had the. Yeah. You know, you could put them behind the sheet or whatever. I don't even know. The the vellum, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could stick them directly onto, you know, the the vellum. And then but you, we, we would trade them all. You know, we would trade stickers. I love the scratch and sniff stickers. I love the fuzzy. My favorites were the fuzzy stickers. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and then they had puffy stickers and, and the Google googly eyes. eyes. <laughs> I but think I, was, I really like the yeah. scratch and sniff ones. <laughs> all about stickers. Um, and then I, of course, also stuffed animals. I you know, I don't think I considered it as like a collection, but that was mm. my favorite toy. Like, so mm-hmm. if ever, you know, I got a stuffed animal for a gift, I just loved it. Um, mm-hmm. And then the oddest thing that I collected for a time was soda cans. Oh, <laughs> and, interesting. And I think it's because like we never really were allowed to drink soda and but I really liked how the cans felt and looked and mm-hmm. I remember cherry seven up like if, <laughs> if a soda s- felt a little bit rare you know I mm-hmm. would keep it and I actually had them like on my shelf just 
you know, I finally got rid of them and probably recycled them. <laughs> but I, 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 my room probably looked a little bit like a hoarder's room. Maybe. <laughs> um, what do you collect now? Do you collect anything now? Well, I don't. Well, I mean, I guess I could say I collect books. I mean, I, we've got right. so many <laughs> books. Me so too. I collect books. Um, uh, but what kind of sparked this as a topic is that, um, you know, this summer I've been going for long walks in the morning. I either walk or run, but the walks are a lot more contemplative. And so, and I slow down and I, and I like see, look at the ground and stuff like that. And, um, this summer I have found five robin eggs, um, like, you know, hatched, like they're mm-hmm. like robin eggs. And the first four, you know, I would just, I just found them. I would take them and I brought them home and I'd show Hazel and I put them in like a the little pot outside because I left them in the pot outside. They eventually like disintegrated, but it's just, they're so beautiful, right? There's such a beautiful shade of blue. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring this inside, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, and I'm like, I'm going to, so like now I'm like, I'm going to start a, a Robin's A's collection. And I kind of feel bad that I didn't keep the other ones, but I'm like, I'm going to keep this one inside. And I have a, from now on, if I find any more, I'm going to keep them. And same thing with, um, blue jay feathers mm. uh, like I've been finding blue jay feathers um, when when I go on my walks too and they're so beautiful like because uh, they're so both I'm uh, noticing both things are bright blue like the robin's egg mm. is blue and the blue jay feathers blue um, and so I've been cl- I, I didn't collect those I mean I collected I collected those but also left them outside so uh, but now I have two that I've brought in inside so I've started a robin egg and blue jay feather collection <laughs> those are fun I know I think it's it's kind of like a uh, I feel like the feather I feel like oh it's a it's I feel like it's magic uh, honestly yeah. when I when I find them I feel like it's magic because it's just such a beautiful color in this like wherever I am, either in this green or in this shaded area, you know, like, so I just love them. So that's what I've started to collect. How about you? Um, books, same. Um, <laughs> I also, I've talked about this before, but I think I, I would say I collect journals. Like I, I just oh, love yeah. a beautiful blank, <laughs> blank book. Um, and then the, but the thing I've been collecting probably for the last three years, which is very random are these what I would call wisher washers, which is not a thing really. But um, so I dated this guy, uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, way, way before Stephen, obviously, but um, mm-hmm. who had a friend who was visiting from Canada and, and she was kind of a, I mean, not, I, I don't know. I guess I would put it at the time. She was kind of like a manic pixie dream girl kind of person, like very, mm-hmm effervescent and dreamy and you know and and I anyway she we she wasn't like my cup of tea necessarily but one Mm -hmm. thing that I found interesting is that she would just walk around the city and pick up what she called wisher washers and basically it's any metal thing that's round so like a washer you know like you know like kind of that round disc with a hole inside could be one it could be a bolt like a nut or a nut I forget which one's the one with the you know, the circle inside, or it could be like an earring, or it could be a ring, like, but she would just, like, after, like, two hours of walking around the city, she would have a little envelope filled with them, and mm-hmm. so this guy and I were like, how does she see them? Like, we don't, but because of that, I just started looking, and now I see them almost every time I go out, I find at least one, like, when I go for my walks or go running, like, I find a wisher washer, and now, so at first I kept them in a, this little jar, but then I had so many that they don't wouldn't fit in the jar. So now I put them in a vase. Um, so do you get to make a wish every time you find one? So that's the thing that um, I th- I don't know how do you how you release them for a wish. But yes, she would bring them back to her nephew, and they would somehow release them and make a wish. Hmm. Um, I never I never get that far, and I now you know we're not in touch anymore, so I can't, <laughs> I can't find out. But I just keep them in a, a vase. I mean, maybe someday you have I'll to make like, your you make your own ritual. <laughs> yeah, I was actually was thinking of that. Like, oh, I should just make my own r- ritual of how you make a wish on these wisher washers. Mm-hmm. But it's just a really weird 
thing to collect. And I, like, I feel everywhere like I go, be... like when we're on vacation, like I'll find them. And I like if I'm walking with Stephen, I'll find one and I'll show it to Stephen. He's like, I can't believe you find those things everywhere. Um, <laughs> I almost so. feel like you should have some kind of like sculpture or something, and you keep putting it on. You know, like and you yeah. put it on, and every time you put it on, magnet or something. Yeah, you put it on, and every time you do, you get to make your wish. You know, like you're building yeah. something. Ooh, like that's I, a good idea. <laughs> Anyway, so yes, it I could be in your gardens. Maybe cool. I'll inspire some of our listeners to collect them too, and it'll actually become a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those locks on the bridges, which actually yeah. people say are not good for the bridges, but it looks really cool. <laughs> we'll see how many wisher washers I find in Europe. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's true. That's cool. European wisher washers. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so now we'll end as we always do with what we're grateful for. Um, I'll start this week. So. I am grateful for getting a really, really good night's sleep on Saturday night. Um, you know, I think our <laughs> That's listeners, always really good. Yeah, our listeners know I, I do battle with certain different kinds of insomnia, and, you know, m- most commonly is that I wake up really early and I can't fall back asleep. And so usually when that happens on a weekday, I'll just get up. If it's Usually if it's after four, I'll just get up. Like sometimes I'll lie in bed for another hour and then get up, but... Um, but if it's on the weekend, I just really prefer to try to get more sleep. And so, I don't know, this Saturday, you know, I didn't go to bed that late. Maybe it was 1030 or 11. And then, you know, I woke up a couple times, but I was able to fall back asleep. And then all of a sudden I woke up and it was 9 a.m. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. Nice. I slept for so long. <laughs> and I felt rested. Like, it's it's oh, so rare really that nice. I actually feel rested when I get up. So. Mm-hmm which I know means that I'm not getting enough sleep, which I, I know I'm not getting enough sleep, but I just, it's hard for me to sleep more. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I am grateful to have that one, at least one really good night's sleep. I wonder um, if there's something you can do from that to like replicate. Um, I mean, one thing I, well, I think part of it might've just been f- like weeks of not getting enough sleep built up. Mm. Um, but another thing, I can't remember if I actually did this on Sunday morning, but um, I ended up ordering these, uh, it's called, I forget what it's called. It's basically headphones that are built into a headband. Because sometimes what does work for me is like if I wake up really early, but I'm trying to fall back asleep. Um, but the reason why I can't fall back asleep is usually because my mind starts like thinking of all the things I have to do. But sometimes if I put like a podcast in my ears, um, you know, I stop thinking about the things I have to do and I just, li- I'm listening to the podcast and if I have it on really slow, slow, low, or if it's a, there's that sleep with me podcast, which is just this boring guy droning on. Like if it's, <laughs> I, I'll put on, usually I put on like an interview podcast that maybe I'm not that interested in. Um, usually I can fall back asleep. So I, I did get, but it's not comfortable with my AirPods. So I, I bought this um, sleep like headphones, which are more comfortable. And that's what they're made for, is like sleeping with them. So I'm hoping that that'll help. <laughs> mm, I hope so too. Yeah. Anyway, what are you grateful for? Um, let's see. Uh, I'm very grateful that I finished that manuscript <laughs> the, Yay, and sent too. it to you. Um, that was a really, really big thing. And I feel really good. Um, hopefully sometime soon we can we'll do an announcement about what this project is because I'm really excited about it. Um, <clears throat> but in the meantime, uh, I'm also grateful for uh, tomatoes. Because <laughs> <laughs> this um, last year, our garden, we grow cherry tomatoes every year. And last year, for some reason, the, they just did not do well at all. Like they, we only got like a handful, like they got blight and all this other stuff. So last year was a very sad cherry tomato season and the year before like it was okay but nothing great like uh we we were able to have more than a handful but um but uh the very first year we did uh cherry tomatoes we had so many cherry tomatoes that we picked them and i would dehydrate them do you remember Mm -hmm. the dehydrated cherry tomatoes and like and every, every year since then, Hazel has been like, because she loves them, and I love them too, but she's like, oh, I hope we can dehydrate them. And um, this year, we're actually having enough that we could actually dehydrate them. And she was so exciting, because uh, I just did our first batch of dehydrated cherry tomatoes uh, the other day, and um, and they're almost all gone. Because <laughs> there's, there's, there's something about them that is so... Um, 
delicious if you like that kind of flavor. It's kind of like a really savory raisin, and mm -hmm. it's just, it's just if you like that flavor, it's just nothing is as good as like a dehydrated cherry tomato. <laughs> and so, um, so I'm hoping that the tomatoes continue to flourish in a big way, and we can make more and more of these dehydrated cherry tomatoes because. Um, Hazel and I really love them. And this has been Aww. the first year that we've been able to do it for like the past like three or four years. So hopefully it continues. Yeah. And Actually, that's what I'm grateful for. That reminds <laughs> me that, um, you know, maybe three years ago, um, I planted a little blueberry bush. And, um, you know, the first year, nothing. And the second year, maybe like, you know, like four <laughs> or something. And then last year there was more, but we were on vacation, I think, during the prime part of it. And then this year there's been so many blueberries. And mm. on Saturday... Um, and they're tiny, they're pretty small, but they are sweet. Um, but on Saturday when, you know, Sherman was over, I'm like, Sherman, do you want to pick blueberries? And he was so excited. Yeah. So he like picked a little, I mean, it's really, it's probably like 20, you know, like, but it just, it feels so, so wonderful yeah. to, to grow it, things. There is something kind of really magical about picking your own food and eating yeah. it you know like something yeah. that you grew even though like we actually have two little watermelons growing right now oh, and we're like cute. so excited <laughs> we're like oh i mean they're like there's they're a little bit bigger than tennis balls <laughs> but they're mm -hmm. definitely smaller than bowling balls right now <laughs> so we're just like oh <laughs> we can't wait but That's it's so exciting. exciting to have food like to grow your own food i think yeah. it's a, a magic that that i think all kids should be able to experience yeah <laughs> that's nice and that was the Common Microaggressions and How to Avoid Them episode. Thanks for joining us, and thanks to Hachette Audio, Little Brown Books for Young Readers, and Alex at PC Work Studio for producing and editing this podcast. You can find me at Planet Alvina on Twitter and TikTok, and at Alvina Ling on Instagram. And I'm at Pacey Lynn on Twitter and Instagram, and author Grace Lynn on Facebook, and Grace Lynn author on TikTok. <laughs> I'm hoping to do more TikTok videos, I think. So, so, uh, it's a, so please follow me on TikTok, Grace Lynn author. <laughs> we love hearing feedback, so keep messaging and tagging us on social media using the hashtag BookFriendsForever, or send us a message via our website, BookFriendsForever.com. You can also see more detailed show notes there. And if you have any suggestions for future topics to cover, please let us know. And of course, please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you like this podcast, please tell a friend about it. Yes, and please join our Patreon. I think we're going to be sending out a survey soon. Maybe we'll send out the survey in these next two weeks because we may or may not have any episodes coming out in these next two weeks. So that'll give you something to do while you wait right. for us to come back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the link is in the show notes. I'm Alvina Ling. And I'm Grace Lynn. Have a great week. And don't forget to read. Bye. Bye.